Thanks, Justin. Thanks, worship team. If you guys don't know Justin Funk, um, if you're here when we started about eight years ago, Justin was worship leader for us and graciously stepped in today, and you'll see him and, and various others leading worship. Thanks to the rest of the team as well. So I know that that many many of us are are processing and wrestling and hurting because of Josh being let go. And so please, don't hesitate to reach out to me, to the elders. We want to help you process. We want to help you understand. We want to help you mourn and walk alongside you. It's not easy for me or for any of us either. It's not taken lightly. So, about a year ago, um, as elders, we set a preaching schedule to where we'd be going through Job right now. And so our sovereign God placed us in this book knowing that we would be grieving at this time. So while we're hurting, while we're wrestling, we get a scripture this morning that answers this question. Why do the godly suffer? And so my prayer is that this scripture is a healing balm to our church this morning. We couldn't have known that this is how things would transpire right now, but God in His sovereign timing placed us right here at just the right time. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us very clearly. We need you. And I don't know what people are wrestling with here this morning. But you do, God. You know each and every individual and what they're going through right now, Lord. And you know what they need. So I pray that you would minister to their hearts. That you would tailor certain things in this message, in this service, and maybe even in interactions after the service that would just touch their hearts and draw them close to you, Jesus. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak very loudly, to speak very clearly to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by way of review, with the book of Job, Job was a godly man who ended up losing all of his wealth, His health, his ten kids died, and yet he didn't curse God. There's chapters one and two in a nutshell. Chapter three, Job grieves well, but he's really honest and goes through a really dark time and wrestles with God. And then we saw last week in chapters four through 31, these so-called friends or frenemies gave him some bad advice And added insult to injury by basically saying, hey, Job, you know what? This happened to you because you're being punished. Because you did something wrong. A job, job. Job, (laughs) that's how it looks, right? That's I mean, part of me is like, God, why did you spell it that way? Anyway, um, but Job responds over and over saying, no, you guys, actually, I'm innocent. It's not my sin that caused this. And, And they just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that leads us to our scripture today. So 
We're going to be covering Job 32 to 37. And so if you can open up to Job chapter 32, we'll start with the first few verses, verses 1 through 8. We meet this new friend named Elihu. And Elihu is different from these other friends and is a fascinating character in this story, as you'll see in a second. So Job chapter 32, 1 through 8. So these three men quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite from the family of Ram, became angry. He was angry at Job because he had justified himself rather than God. In verse 3, he was angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he. But when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. So Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzai, replied, I am young in years, while you are old. Therefore I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath from the Almighty, that gives anyone understanding. So, this new friend jumps in, Elihu, and he's angry. He's angry at both Job and these other so-called friends. Why? Because he sees how wrong and hurtful these other friends were to Job. But he also sees how prideful Job was becoming. Now, more on Job's pride in a minute. But this guy, Elihu, he was younger than the rest of them, we learn in verse 4 here. But he was respectful. He was slow to speak, unlike these other friends. But why should we trust anything that this friend is about to say? We just had these three friends. And you just, you know, you might be thinking, Matt, you just told me last week we shouldn't really trust the things they're saying because God ends up condemning them in the end. Well, here's the deal. I'll give you four reasons why we should trust what Elihu says. But this is actually good stuff. First, Job never responds and rejects what Elihu says. After every speech that the other three friends gave, Job gave a rebuttal. Job never responds. Two, verse eight, he's humble. This guy understands, I'll read it again, but it is the spirit in a, in a person, the breath from the Almighty that gives anyone understanding. So he, he is a guy who got wisdom from God. Third, Job rebukes these other three friends. Or sorry, not Job. God rebukes these other three friends in chapter 42, verse 7. But he says nothing about Elihu. And fourth, everything he says, from what I can tell, lines up with the rest of Scripture. Whereas the other three friends, not so much. So as I was looking at this scripture, I understand it's several chapters, but there's a very prominent theme. And he gives reasons to Job of why he's suffering. So why do the godly suffer? When the first reason he gives Job is to, the godly suffer to root out pride. So let's read Job 33, 8 through 17. Job 33, starting in verse 8. Elihu is speaking to Job here. He says, Surely 
You have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard these very words. I am pure without transgression. I am clean and have no iniquity. But he finds reasons to oppose me. He regards me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He stands watch over all my paths. But I tell you that you are wrong in this matter, Job, since God is greater than man. Why do you take him to court for not answering anything a person asks? For God speaks time and again, but a person may not notice. In a dream, a vision in the night, when deep sleep comes over people as they slumber on their beds, he uncovers their ears and terrifies them with warnings in order to turn a person from his actions and suppress the pride of a person. Now, if you turn a a few pages over to Job 42, verse 6, I want you to notice something Job does. And we'll talk about this more next week. But in, in Job 42, verse 6, here's what Job does. He, here's what Job says. It says, Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. He's repenting of something. What is he repenting of? He's repenting of his pride. See, he had started to think of himself as better than he was. And so this happened, right? And I don't know, you know, I have this illustration here. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Okay, wow, I think this will work better than I thought. So if you have a a water bottle that has some dirt in it, you let it settle for a while like I did this morning, it doesn't look that bad, right? And this is what happened with Job, okay? He, He wasn't being punished because of his sin, okay, he was, his, his sin didn't cause his suffering, but as he was suffering, if you notice in these verses, Elihu is pointing out, hey, you were saying to God in verse 10, 33, 10, but he finds reasons to oppose me. He's talking about God. He regards me as his enemy. So Job is starting to go get kind of prideful here and go, God, you're opposing me. You're my enemy. See, what happened is Job was a godly man, but not a perfect man. And when suffering came his way, his life got all shook up and pride got stirred up in there. And this is often what happens with us. We may not be going through whatever suffering we're walking through at the time because of any particular sin we committed, but that suffering stirs up a bunch of yuck within us. Commentator Highwell Jones said this, The friends said that Job was suffering because he had sinned. Elihu says that Job has sinned because he was suffering. So he wasn't being punished for his sin with suffering. Rather, his suffering had started to puff him up a bit. And so verse 14 and 33 here, God, it says, God speaks time and again, but a person may not notice. And so God speaks, says, verse 15, through dreams. But God speaks sometimes, verse 16, through suffering. Why? Verse 17, in order to suppress the pride of a person. God allows hardship sometimes to stir up pride and selfishness within us so that it can be uprooted. See, sometimes we become so self 
righteous and comfortable that we trick ourselves into thinking that we have got it all together and the reality is that we don't. We are still sinful and selfish and desperately in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so the next time something difficult comes your way, ask yourself, how could God be trying to humble me through this? How are my responses to this trial showing that I'm way too focused on me and not near enough focused on God? So why did the godly suffer? Sometimes to to root out pride within us. Secondly, the godly suffer to teach us. So if you turn a couple pages over, Job 36, 13 to 15. 36, 13 to 15. Thirty-six, thirteen. Those who have a godless heart harbor anger, even when God binds them. They do not cry for help. They die in their youth. Their life ends among male cult prostitutes. God rescues the afflicted by their affliction. He instructs them by their torment. So here's what Elu is saying. He's saying you can have one of two responses to suffering and trials. One, depicted in verses 13 and 14 here, you can become bitter and callous towards God and just ignore Him and try to shove Him out of your life. Or, two, you can ask God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Because God rescues the afflicted by their affliction. C.S. Lewis, in his famous work, The Problem of Pain, said it like this. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What Elihu and C.S. Lewis is saying is that there are things that you cannot learn any other way but through hardship. You might be thinking, well, what? What what are some examples? What could I not learn any other way but through pain? Let me give you some examples. So James 1, 2, and 3 says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance is something you cannot learn any other way but by trials. If 2020 and the unrest in our world over the last few years, has taught us nothing else. It's taught us that we need endurance. We need greater resolve. We need to be more resilient and immovable in Christ. Psalm 112, verse 7, the psalmist says it this way, He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. That verse is always baffled me. How do you not be afraid of bad news? You really can get to a spot where you're less and less afraid of bad news by having your heart confident, trusting in the Lord. We need more of that type of confident trust. We need endurance when we learn it through going through hardship. What else can't be taught any other way but through pain? Well, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, 
you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. There are various aspects of our character that can only be refined through pain. It's like gold is refined by fire. Think of it like this. Nobody ever learned patience without having to wait for something. Okay, no one ever learned faithfulness without sticking with something or with someone through hard times. Nobody ever learned gentleness usually without first being treated poorly or harshly. So when trials hit, in time, we need to train ourselves to ask this question. What is God trying to teach me? How is God using this to make me more like himself? How is God using this to grow the fruits of the Holy Spirit in me of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control how is God trying to grow those within me through this what lesson would I never be able to learn any other way why do the godly suffer to teach us third the godly suffer to wean us from this world so Job 36 16 to 21 Job 36 16 indeed He lured you from the jaws of distress to a spacious and unconfined place. Your table was spread with choice food, yet now you are obsessed with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice have seized you. Be careful that no one lures you with riches. Do not let a large ransom lead you astray. Can your wealth or your physical exertion keep you from distress? Do not long for the night when nations will disappear from their places. Be careful that you do not turn to iniquity, for that is why you have been tested by affliction. So in these verses, in, in verses 18 and, 9, and, and verse 21, it says, be careful, be careful. Sometimes, per, so perhaps in Job's life, even though he was a godly man, perhaps when he was wealthy, before all of this stuff happened to him, perhaps he was too attached to his wealth. And Elihu is saying, don't fall into that trap of desiring your wealth again more than you desire God. Verse 21, see Job was tested by affliction to prove that God was enough for him. And Job had passed the test so far. And Elihu is saying, keep going. Keep passing the test. So when you experience loss, especially of material things, have you ever considered that God may be trying to loosen your grip from those things? Perhaps you're clinging too tightly to something in this world and God has allowed this pain into your life so that you let go of it. See, we we love to reach for quick, easy buttons of pleasure when we're suffering. But what if the whole point of that trial was to actually get those easy buttons out of our lives? What if the whole point was 
just to wean us from that pleasure? What if God saw that our heart had become so chained to something in this world that he allowed it to be taken away so that our heart would be drawn back to him? See, sometimes we suffer to wean us from this world. And lastly, why do the godly suffer? To remind us that he's God and we are not. I'm about to read a big chunk of scripture, and I want you to listen carefully as I read. And I want you to hear about the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God and that God really is enough for us. See, some view Elihu in this chunk of Scripture as kind of like a John the Baptist character, kind of preparing the way as a forerunner for God speaking in the next section, just like John the Baptist was a forerunner for the ministry of Christ on this earth. And next week we're going to see that God speaks clearly and He doesn't mince words. But today, Elihu is going to get us ready for what God is about to say. And so soak it up as I read the end of chapter 36 through 37. Don't tune this out. This is God's word. Let these words, not Matt's words, be loudest to you today. Job 36, starting in verse 22. Look, God shows himself exalted by his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed his way for him? And who has declared you have done wrong? Remember that you should praise his work, which people have sung about. All mankind has seen it. People have looked at it from a distance. Yes, God is exalted beyond our knowledge. The number of his years cannot be counted. For he makes water drops evaporate. They distill the rain into its mist, which the clouds pour out and shower abundantly on mankind. Can anyone understand how the clouds spread out or how the thunder roars from God's pavilion? See how he spreads his lightning around him and covers the depths of the sea, for he judges the nations with these. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to hit its mark. The thunder declares his presence. The cattle also, the approaching storm, 37 verse 1, my heart pounds at this and leaps from my chest. Just listen to his thunderous voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He lets it loose beneath the entire sky as lightning to the ends of the earth. Then there comes a roaring sound. God thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning when his rumbling voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall to the earth. And the torrential rains, his mighty torrential rains, serve as his sign to all mankind so that all men may know his work. The wild animals enter their lairs and stay in their dens. The windstorm comes from its chamber and the cold from the driving north winds. Ice is formed by the breath of God and watery expanses are frozen. He saturates clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. They swirl about, turning round and round at his direction, accomplishing everything he commands them over the surface of the inhabited world. He causes this to happen for punishment for his land or for his faithful love. 
Verse 14, listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float? Those wonderful works of him who has perfect knowledge. You whose clothes get hot when the south wind brings calm to the land. Can you help God spread out the skies as hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we should say to him. We cannot prepare our case because of our darkness. Should he be told what I want to speak? Can a man speak when he is confused? Now no one can even look at the sun after a wind has swept through and cleared the sky. Out of the north he comes, shrouded in a golden glow. Awesome majesty surrounds him, the Almighty. We cannot reach him. He is exalted in power. He will not violate justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear him. He does not Look favorably on those who are wise in heart. Amen. You see in this scripture how he just reminds us that he is God and we are not over and over. 37 verse 5, he does not, he, he does great things that we cannot comprehend. Why are we going through this hard time right now? We don't know. We can't comprehend it. Even if we found out, we wouldn't get it. Verse 14, listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds or makes his lightning flash? See, this this will be the thrust of God's argument next week. Job, do you know better than me? Are you God or am I? See, he is God. We are not. Suffering, especially extreme suffering, is Completely disorienting. It, it, it gets us to a point where we often just forget who God is and we forget who we are in Him in the process. But He is the one who is outside of time. He is the one who does things that we cannot comprehend for reasons that we could never understand. Sometimes suffering, if, if nothing else, just reminds us of our place, that we are not God. And he is. So, is Elihu, is his advice good advice? That's what I entitled this message. Is this good advice? It is. But it's hard advice. It's hard to hear. And if I was just to sum it all up, here's what Elihu is saying. Here's his good advice. Job, you're being refined. You're going through this to be refined. Elihu discerned that Job was at a good place to hear that message. See, for some, it takes years for them to get to a place where they can hear things like Elihu just said. We need to stick to what Job encouraged us to do last week. Job 16.5, he said, I would encourage you with my mouth. And the consolation from my lips would bring relief. See, as I talked about last week, we need to do what Job said. He just wished his friends would stop getting on his case and stop 
calling him out and would just be there for him and remind him of the presence of God and the love of God. And so here's the deal. Some people will want answers like Elihu gave in this section. And some people will want answers like that right away. But each person moves through grief very differently. And each situation, people move through grief very differently. And so it takes a lot of discernment and wisdom with each situation. So this is good advice. Perhaps you may be led to ask others these types of questions. But here's the deal. When you are suffering, you need to ask yourself these questions. And maybe not right away. Like, We need time, of course, to to do what Job did. He wrestled, he questioned, he really felt it first. But then we need to ask ourselves these hard questions. When we're good and ready, we need to ask ourselves, what, what pride is God trying to root out of me? What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to loosen my grip of in this world? And how is God reminding me through this that he is God and I am not? See, I don't, I don't know what each of you is walking through today. But if you're struggling right now, what if, what if you took a good look in the mirror and just asked these questions? What pride is God trying to root out of me? What, what is God trying to teach me? What, what is he trying to loosen my grip of? What is he, how is he just saying, I am God and you are not? And I gotta believe that God would bless that and honor that because as we Humble ourselves, even in pain. James 4.10 tells us that if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. So I want to end by pointing out something fascinating at the end of this scripture. So Job 37.23 says, The Almighty, we cannot reach him. That's true. We cannot reach God. But the good news is that he can and has reached us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So whatever you're walking through right now, God is not far off. In fact, he's right there with you and he cares about you more than you can imagine. So you can't reach God, but he has reached you. And he loves you more than you've ever dared imagine. Believe that. Cling to him. He is good. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. And I know there's a lot of people in here who are hurting, who are confused, who are going through all sorts of different things. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would minister to their hearts, that you would really be the good shepherd I love what you say in Psalm 23, Lord, that even even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because you're there with us. So even as we sing this song, Lord, just remind us of your presence, of your goodness, of your greatness, God. You are God. We are not. And help us to humbly bow our minds and our hearts before you, no matter what's going on in our lives, because you are worthy, Jesus. And you are good. Pray this in your name. Amen.